Thank you for listening to the Restoration City Church Podcast. For more information about our church or to support us financially, please visit rcc.church. I'm, I'm wondering, for those of you in the room, how many of you had something like this when you were a child? No judgment one way or another. I see, I see some hands going up. You want to put your hands down before I say this? It seems like the older we are in this room, the more likely we were to have had one of these. Um, I'm really old school, so um, when I had it, it was a Yogi Bear version of the punching bag, and I don't know what this says about um, my parents, about my development, about my um, emotional health as a child, but I remember having Having this thing, and this was one of the things my parents would do when we had five kids and the oldest three were boys, and they would be like, man, you guys have some extra energy. Why don't you just go downstairs and smack this around, which was obviously healthier than going downstairs and smacking each other around. And just pro tip for those of you with young kids, um, we got this the other day because I wanted to serve you well and make sure you understood the word of God. And I will just tell you as a father of a uh, six, seven, and nine-year-old, if you are looking for a relatively inexpensive and massively therapeutic Christmas present, um, this really could be your ticket because this is fun. It's so much fun that even if the lights go out, I'm going to keep doing this because it's just fun to do it as a kid. Of course, the hard part is, as you grow up, it feels less like you're playing with a punching bag, and it feels like at times you become the punching bag. Like, not literally, that wouldn't be funny uh, at all, but it does feel like there are a lot of times where we're rolling through life, and man, we're just taking shots left and right, right? I mean, we're taking them at work. We're taking them on the metro for the six of you that still ride metro. We're taking it in traffic because there's only six people that still ride metro. And we're taking it because other people can't drive. And the boss wants a presentation. And who sends emails over Thanksgiving weekend? And just all this kind of stuff that keeps coming up. And then it's Christmas, and it's like, boom, you need cookies. What about gifts? Don't forget the tree, fake or real. It's really expensive. All, and what about the in-laws? Are they coming? Are they not coming? What do we do? All kinds of things. And it just feels like we take shot after shot after shot. And some of us are just exhausted from everything that we have to deal with in general and particularly during this time of year. Doesn't feel like the holidays make it better. It feels like the holidays make it worse. And you're like, man, I'm kind of tired of being the punching bag. And I get that. I, I am too. But there's also something beautiful about this thing, right? This is where it starts to help us understand what God is saying. Because as often as this thing gets knocked down, it comes back up again. Right? And, and there's a resiliency to it. Shots come, but man, it bounces back up. And in a sense, that resiliency is what Jesus wants to offer each one of us. And it's what our passage is about today. It's about the reality that as we follow Jesus, we are going to encounter difficult moments. We talked about this last week, that following Jesus is actually the narrow gate and the difficult road. 
that as we follow Jesus, there are going to become things our way, the things that are going to come our way, just feel like they're trying to knock us down. Yet Jesus is saying you can discover a resiliency that is almost supernatural. And it feels like there is a growing awareness in our culture about how important resiliency is. It's not a word that you used to hear a lot before the pandemic, but you've started to hear it a lot more of what does it look like to be a resilient employee? I hear it a lot in pastoral circles. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about resiliency, and they were the ones that gave me the idea, you know, credit where credit's due. They were the ones talking about sometimes being a pastor. It just feels like you're a punching bag, but how do you discover some kind of resiliency. We sense that need for resiliency as parents. We sense that need for resiliency in our extended families. We know that we need resiliency. The problem is we just usually go looking for it in all the wrong places. And what Jesus wants to show us today is that as we follow him, we actually become more resilient, not less resilient which all by itself, that would be worth a couple of minutes of our time to talk about how it is that Jesus builds a resistant life for us, about how we could become more resilient um, as we navigate our daily lives. But here's what I really want us to pay attention to today. Jesus's comments about developing resiliency come as the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a random one-off for Jesus where he's like, oh, by the way, you know, resiliency, let's talk about that. This is his final thought at the end of this massively important introductory sermon where he is trying to show everybody what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God, what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of heaven. And if you were here last week, you remember we said, okay, these last two weeks are kind of conclusion. Um, As he gets to the end of this vision of human flourishing that he lays out, he warns us that living according to that vision in a fallen world will be difficult. So it is highly intentional that he decides to end the Sermon on the Mount by saying, hey, y'all, if you're serious about this, like if you really want to follow Jesus, like if you really want your life to count for advancing the kingdom of God, if you want to do something significant with your time here in Washington, D.C., resiliency is not optional. Resiliency is going to be absolutely essential to our discipleship with Jesus. This is not a nice to have, this is a need to have, this is a got to have kind of moment. And Jesus is not sort of true to form, just sitting back and saying, oh, hey, by the way, y'all, you should figure out resiliency. Good luck with that. You're gonna need it and I hope it works out well for you. What Jesus wants to do is paint a picture for us of how it is that we actually build a resilient life. And it's a relatively simple plan. It's just a question of how much we actually want to uh, follow it, right? The first thing that Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this little parable that ends the Sermon on the Mount is that each and every single one of us 
needs to pick a foundation for our lives, right? That's what makes our little punching bag so irresistible as a sermon illustration because all of the resiliency is found in the fact that there's something in the foundation of the bag that helps it snap back up, right? Some of them come with sand, some of them come with water, but the resiliency of the punching bag is all about the foundation, And Jesus wants us today to examine what is actually the foundation of our lives, right? Because the word picture that he's playing with here is kind of this idea that we are all building our lives. We are all building our lives one day at a time. We are all building our lives one decision at a time. And that's really important for all of us to hear. That's especially important for you to hear the younger you are, right? Because a lot of times when I talk to high school students or college students or somebody in grad school, there's this sense that life is going to start at some point in the future. Right? You ever feel that way where it's like, well, you know, this is kind of just like a dress rehearsal that life will really start after graduation. Or life will really start once I get out of grad school. This is still sort of like a JV version. Life will really start when I get married. Life will really start when I get a different job. Life will really start when we have kids. And we need to be aware you're living the one and only life that you're ever going to have right here, right now, one day at a time, one decision at a time. And Jesus is saying, whether you're a Christian or not, that every single one of us, as we build that life one day at a time, we are building on some foundation. There is something of ultimate importance in our lives. There's something that we use almost as an operating system that runs in the background of our minds, that runs throughout our heart, that courses through our soul, that enables us to make the day-to-day decisions of our lives. Right, because when we start talking about the foundation of our lives, a lot of times we start throwing out very lovely aspirational statements where we start saying, well, what's really most important to me? Well, my relationship with God and my wife and my kids. And, you know, we know the right answers to say. We know what we want the foundation to be. We know what the foundation should be. We know that Jesus is going to call us to build our life on him. But what Jesus is really trying to say is, hey, rather than just settling for sort of these aspirational statements, we owe it to ourselves to ask the question, what is actually at the foundation of our life? Because so often it happens that when we're under pressure, the things that we have told everybody are most important to us can become the things that we're most willing to sacrifice. Right? We can talk a good game about, hey, Jesus is most important. He's it. He's the ultimate. He died for me. Yet, we can find ourselves in moments where we're so ashamed to admit that we're a Christian that we won't even acknowledge our faith in front of the right group of coworkers or the wrong group of coworkers, in front of the wrong members of the extended family, in front of the neighbor that you know is gonna laugh and judge, right? It's really easy to say, hey, my wife and kids are most important. But then you get an email that says, hey, need you to work late, come here, do this. And you realize, hmm, maybe I'm a little more willing to sacrifice time with them than I thought. 
And what Jesus wants us to see is it's often adversity that reveals what our actual foundation is. So I want to slow us down for a few minutes and not just take for granted that we've all figured out what is actually foundational to our lives. I, I, I know we all have an answer. We would all be able to fill in the blank if this was we one big rolling small group right now. We would all know what to say. But is it really the thing that we're building our life on? Now, here's the encouragement. And this is going to be particularly exciting for you if you're new to church. Maybe you really did just come with a family member over Thanksgiving and you're trying to figure out what this whole Christianity thing is about. There is about it is about this idea that Jesus offers us a very stark choice. He offers himself as the foundation of our lives. And he says, hey, look, you're either going to accept me as the foundation of your life or you're going to settle for something else that is going to be less than what you need it to be. But don't lose sight of the beauty of what it is when the Son of the living God offers himself to you personally and says, I would like you to build your entire life on the foundation that is Christ and the transforming power of the gospel. You see this a number of places in Scripture. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6 is sort of the famous one, and there's a reason that I want to go here um, that will become clear in just a minute, but you've probably heard this before if you've been around church. If not, this is the invitation from Jesus. It stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a choice and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame, right? That Jesus is stone, he's cornerstone, he's foundation, that when we make faith in him, the foundation of our lives, we will never be put to shame. When we make Christ the foundation, we develop resiliency. When we make Christ the foundation, we're able to bounce back up whatever life throws at us. But the reason I wanted to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 is so that we would have an excuse to be able to jump back to Isaiah chapter 28. Because if you notice, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, for it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion. And it should beg the question, well, where does it say that in scripture? And you find out that the answer to that is Isaiah chapter 28. That when Jesus teaches about himself as a foundation, as a stone, as a cornerstone, he's building on something that the prophet Isaiah had written 750 years before Jesus was born. And I think it's helpful for us to go back and hear the context of this teaching out of the book of Isaiah. We're going to, it's a longer passage, so we're going to put sort of highlights of it up on the screen, but I'm going to try to make my way through the majority of Isaiah 28, 14 through 19, if you want to come back to it later this afternoon or later this week. But here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. So this is going to be a prophecy that's directed primarily to the elite, primarily to the ruling class of Israel in Jerusalem. And God is going to call them out on a false bargain that they've made. It's a false bargain that we can all make. Verse 15, for you said, talking to the people of Israel, we have made a covenant with death and we have an agreement with Sheol. Um, Obviously, using strong 
almost hyperbolic language. Israel did not intentionally go make a covenant with death, did not intentionally go make a covenant with hell itself, but they had made a trade. They had sort of made an agreement, and here's what the agreement looked like. You've kind of entered into this agreement with death and hell because when the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, it will not touch us because we have made falsehood our refuge and have hidden behind treachery. In other words, what Israel had done is rather than actually building their life on God, they had gone out and found other foundations. And the reason they had gone out and built their life on other foundations is they had convinced themselves that that's what they needed to do to survive the catastrophe that was coming their way. Right? You, you see what's going on in their head where they're saying like, okay, hey, we're here. We're the people of God. We're trying to follow Yahweh, but we see some storms on the horizon. And there's some things coming at us in life that we don't know how we're going to be able to navigate that. And I guess option number one would just be faithful to Yahweh. But it seems like that might be a little naive. That might be a little simplistic. He might let us down. He might not come through. So maybe rather than putting all of our trust in the covenant faithfulness of Yahweh, maybe we should start to put a little more stock in our bank accounts. Maybe we should make some international strategic political alliances. Maybe we should start to build up our military, right? I'm not saying modern day that any of these things are wrong, but what Israel was doing is they were transferring their trust. And they were making a bargain. They're saying, hey, God, sorry, you might want to look the other way, but I'm going to transfer my fidelity somewhere else for a minute because this is what I need to do to survive the storm. And I think we can all relate to that, where we have the sense of like, look, I know what Jesus would have me do, but just for just this one time, I'm going to do something else. Because I understand that Jesus would t- say that I should tell the truth at work, But like, dude, you don't understand. Like if I actually was honest in this moment, I really do think I would lose my job. So I feel bad. But yeah, I'm just going to lie this one time. I'll just sign the document this one time. It's what I got to do. It's what I got to do to get through the storm. And then as soon as I get through the storm, I'll just run back and be like, back to Jesus. And he's like, yes, in the moment that you are unfaithful to God, he will still be faithful to you. There's still grace and mercy for you for whatever bargain you felt like you had to make this week, for whatever bargain you feel like you've had to make this year, whatever bargain you've made over the course of your life. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're making a bargain that might actually be a fool's choice. You think you have to do it to get through the storm. But what you might find out is that your choice is actually going to make the storm worse. Because that's where he wants to go next in Isaiah 28. He's saying, therefore the Lord said, look, I've laid a stone in Zion. This is the context for 1 Peter 2. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He's saying, I don't know that I'd, I'd, I'd go somewhere else because there's a different kind of foundation in life. And the one who believes in Christ will be unshakable. 
He says, just in case you're wondering how I run the world, I make justice the measuring line and righteousness the mason's level. Hail will sweep away the false refuge. This thing that you thought you had to do to make it through the storm, man, that's going to go down. Hail can sweep away that false refuge. Water is going to flood your hiding place. Your covenant with death is going to be dissolved. Your agreement with Sheol will not last. When the overwhelming catastrophe passes through, you will be trampled. Every time it passes through, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, and every night. Only terror will cause you to understand the message. He's saying, look, at the end of the day, this thing is going to fall over someday, and it's not going to get back up. And some of us are living life in denial, if I can just be honest with you on a holiday weekend. Because you're getting away with it. And you're like, oh, look, man, I, I, I get it. But I have enough contacts in my iPhone that I can make it work. I have enough money in the bank that I can make it work. I'm smart enough to make it work. I'm savvy enough. I'm, I'm making it work. And I know I get knocked out, but I'm bouncing back up. And what God is lovingly saying is you don't want to keep pressing your luck on that one because there's going to be a day where you go down and you don't come back up. But he says you don't have to do it this way. You can build your life on the foundation of Christ, which is a totally different way to live and an absolutely beautiful picture that has the potential to change so much for each and every single one of us. Because when Jesus offers himself as the foundation for our life, right? think about the purpose of a foundation in a home today. Right? The foundation supports the weight of the house that's built on top of it. That's the operating principle between, behind this parable and behind the house that you live in, that there's a foundation that holds the whole thing up. And Jesus of Nazareth is offering himself personally to you as the one who is able to carry the weight of your life. That's what he's actually offering here. We're saying, hey, I want you to think for a minute about all of the different things that make you feel weighted down in this moment. And Jesus is saying, hey, I am willing to carry the weight of that for you. So some of us would feel weighted down by guilt and by shame, by regret for things that we've done, where we just feel this heaviness of what we've said, of what we've thought, of what we've done, and it feels like it's the only thing we can even focus on, just the horror that we feel about some of the choices we've made. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to transfer that guilt and that shame to me as I die for you on the wood of the cross. I can take that off of you, and I will carry that for you. You don't need to feel the weight of guilt and shame. Jesus understands the weight of financial pressure. He lived as a borderline homeless person for the three years of his public ministry. And he says, hey, you don't have to carry that by yourself. I can carry some of that with you. I can carry all of that 
for you. Jesus understands difficult family dynamics. Jesus understands the pressure that some of us feel to get it all done. Jesus understands the pressure of needing to have all the answers, to figure it out, to make it all work. And some of us feel like truly we are carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. And if you don't feel like you're carrying the weight of the world, you feel like you're carrying the weight of your life. There's a sense of, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. I don't know how much longer I can hold the whole thing up and keep pulling a rabbit out of the hat just in time to hold the whole thing together. I don't know that I can carry the weight any longer. And Jesus is saying, you were never designed to carry that weight. Why don't you transfer it to me? Here's, here's the thing. Some of us have a view of following Jesus where it feels like the moment you became a Christian, you took on extra weight. It just became one more set of obligations, one more source of guilt, one more source of shame, one more place where you weren't getting it right, one more place where you were letting people down, one more place where you were letting God down. And this whole relationship with Jesus has started to feel like a weight on your shoulders, so much so that you're starting to wonder, would it not be easier if I took the weight of Christ off? And, and all I would bring you back to, if you feel that way, I understand it, I get it, but Understand that there is a difference between religion, which says you need to earn the approval of God, and the grace of the gospel, which says you are already loved by God, that Jesus did everything necessary for your salvation, and Jesus is not trying to put weight on you. Jesus is trying to take weight off of you. And maybe it's time for a good long conversation with God where you say, wait a minute, I think I've been approaching all of this wrong. I've been trying to impress you, and now I understand that all I need to do is trust you. I've been trying to carry you, Jesus, and now I see it. You're the one who created the heavens and the earth. How about I just let you carry me for a while? He's offering himself as foundation. Now, in line with the Sermon on the Mount, he is saying, okay, once you've picked a foundation, it's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be something else. He's like, man, it's time to start building a life on top of that foundation. Now, here's the assumption that Jesus is making. Jesus is making the assumption that if we say we want him to be the foundation of our lives, that we will then go about building our life in a way that is congruent with the foundation that he is laying down for us, right? This is, again, where it's helpful to think about just building something today. Um, my brother built a house a couple of years ago. He and his wife, they decided this is kind of like, you know, whatever, they're going to settle down. So they built a house. It was really funny. They used to watch HGTV obsessively. Then they built a house, and now they don't watch HGTV anymore. They're good. Like, been there, done that, and no more interest in that because they had no idea how many decisions they were going to make. But I remember being with him one day. Well, before they had really started to build the house, all they had done is laid the foundation. And we could stand there on that construction site and he could point out like, yep, that's going to become the kitchen. There's the dining room. Boom, 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 boom. And all of that, right? And that is exactly what came to life on top of that foundation. The problem that a lot of us have as followers of Jesus is that we want to claim Christ as foundation, but then we spend a lot of time trying to build a house that doesn't actually match the foundation that Jesus is laying in our lives. 
Right? That rather than doing what Jesus asks us to do, rather than making what Jesus asks us to make, rather than cooperating with his blueprint for our life, which, oh, by the way, is the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, as expanded in the rest of the New Testament and informed by the Old Testament and defined by the grace of the gospel, and instead of building a life that's based on that foundation, we're like, no, 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 you're a great little foundation. Rock of Ages, I'll be happy to sing the song, but I'm just going to build something over here that looks a little different. Right? See, like, Jesus, I, I see the foundation that you've built, and it doesn't seem to include a sunroom. And I really wanted a sunroom, so I'm just going to go off and build that, if that's okay with you. And Jesus is like, I don't think I'm going to do that. Like, if you want durability, you want resiliency, you're going to have to build a life that's congruent with the foundation of Christ. You know, what's really interesting if you look at Matthew chapter 7, particularly if you you look at it in the original language, is how often in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Greek verb poieo comes up. Um, And and it's really, you don't catch it in the English um, because there's not really an exact uh, translation for poieo into uh, English. So you see it translated a number of different ways in this section. But the, the closest translation of poieo um, would actually come uh, from my somewhat limited understanding of Spanish. But those of you um, that took even like grade school Spanish, you might remember like the verb hacer. Remember that in Spanish class, hacer was to do or to make. So it could be like, hace mucho frío, it's really cold. Or like, hacer la cama, make your bed, right? Um, I think that's, that's right. Um, and hacer is this like dual purpose do or make kind of word. That's poieo. That's what Jesus is calling us to. When he says building on the foundation, he's saying, hey, I want you to do the things that I'm calling you to do in life. I want you to make the things that I'm calling you to make in life. I want you to actually build a life on the foundation that I'm laying. Now, what's interesting about this passage is it shows us one of the great temptations that we all face, right? Right at the end, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes, right? Um, Religious teaching of the day, uh, Jewish rabbis footnoted everything. Everything had like six sources and seven cross-references and rabbi so-and-so says this and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus doesn't do that. He just stands up and he tells people how it is. He's like, look, this is the deal. I'm going to be the foundation or I'm not going to be the foundation. But these people that heard that this day were astonished. They were amazed. They were impressed. They like what they heard. I think one of the haunting questions that Matthew leaves us with is, yeah, But how many of those people who were astonished, who were impressed, who liked what they heard, actually got up and then proceeded to build their life on the foundation of Christ? Or how many of them applauded a good sermon, said amen, had a feel-good moment, told their friends that they were there when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, had their little spiritual high, but then didn't go out and actually do the things that Jesus was calling us to do. They didn't actually go out and build the kind of life that Jesus was calling us to build, right? This is the book of James where it says, hey, don't just be hearers of the Word of God, but be doers of the Word of God. 
And, and what Jesus is trying to say back to the topic of resiliency is like, yes, if you want to have a resilient life, you've got to put Christ as the foundation, but you also have to build a life on the teachings and the principles of Jesus. Right? If you don't build that kind of life, resiliency is not going to come. But if we're committed to the way of Jesus, we start to discover an incredible resiliency in our life. Now, let's just end with one final thought. Because there is a tension in Scripture. And our job is to live right in the middle of what seems like two different ideas. Because here in Matthew 7, Jesus goes out of his way to show that both the person who's building their life on the foundation of Christ and the person who's building their life on the foundation of something else, both of those people are going to face the exact same kind of storms. Did you notice that as Madison was reading the passage? The winds come and the rains buffet the house in both examples. Following Jesus is not an exemption from the storms of life. Following Jesus seems to be a promise that we're not going to collapse, that he's going to give us the grace and the strength that we need to endure the storm. Yet, you go other places in the gospel. I'm thinking of Mark chapter 4, where Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is taking a nap in the back of the boat. And they wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus wakes up and he speaks and the storm is calmed. And you and I have to have room in our hearts and in our minds for the fact that we worship and follow a God who absolutely has the ability to calm whatever storm that you're in. Whatever you need Jesus to do, he has the authority to speak and to calm that storm. Yet, he's trying to make clear in Matthew 7, he does not always do that. And that's really confusing because it leaves us in these moments where we're like, wait, I don't know what to make of this. Are you going to calm the storm or are you just going to give me strength to get through the storm? If you're open to suggestions, God, I feel like this would be an awesome time to just calm the storm. And hey, I'm going to be real with you. That's how I pray. Right? I usually pray like, hey, Lord Jesus, I would love it if you would miraculously intervene. If for some reason you choose not to do that, please just give me the strength that I need to navigate this moment. But either way, I'm going to cling to the promise that I'm not going to collapse because I'm going to trust you as the foundation of my life. I'm not going to go make a bargain with something else to get through difficulty just because I think I need to do it. I understand that in the moments that I'm most tempted to compromise on Jesus, those are the moments that I need to cling to him the most. Some days he's going to speak and the storm's going to get calmed. And some days he's going to fill you with strength in your inner being. Either way, he says, look, if you build your life on me, you're going to get knocked down every once in a while. But you will get back up. And some of us desperately need that in life. And the answer is found in Jesus as the foundation. So Father, we need you to come right now. And we need you to be near to us in a very personal way. We need you to help us understand what we're building our life on. And we need to feel the reality of your offer, your offer of yourself, your offer of your son as the one true and sure foundation of life. So Jesus, give us grace. Speak to us now. We pray. In Christ's name. Amen.